that has been a joyous experience to see how many phones are taken out. Based on who I'm talking to, there's no use me as an outgoing person trying to tell an introvert how to get on with life. So, uh, God loves you the way you are. God will meet you where you're at. Uh, and I just thank you for that. This is a random kind of pre-sermon word that I felt the other night that I'm going to share. Um, myself and Andy were watching uh, Thor, the new movie. And uh, there's a part of it, and he goes, all the gods have this place where they all hang out. So you've got Zeus there, and you have like the Mary god, and you have the Egyptian god. There's, there's hundreds of them. All civilizations had their own gods. And they're all sitting there. But the whole point was that they hide out in this place, and they have no interest whatsoever in their followers. They're just about keeping themselves safe, keeping themselves in glory, and doing what they're doing. Thor's trying to say, you need to come and help. The children have been kidnapped or whatever. And they've absolutely no interest. And I just got completely... Um, overwhelmed and he's like looking at me like what's wrong with you and I'm like do you know what I'm so grateful that our God the true God cares about every part of our lives not just my life he cares about your life he cares about your coming and your going he cares about your heartache he cares about the pressure he cares about the joys he cares about the longings of your heart you do not have a disinterested God you have a God who is very much invested and interested in who you are and what is going on in your life and what's going on in your family's life. So God, I thank you for that, Lord God. And as we bring this word, Lord, um, we just pray we keep that in mind, Lord, that you are interested in us. That you are interested in us. You know our deepest, darkest places, Lord, and you still love us. Lord God, uh, Sam speaks about, like, if I fly to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean, you are there. You are with us. You are interested in us. And you love us, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, this morning's word is a bit different to that one, but that's okay. We're going to go with it, okay? Um, so, uh, this week, um, so I have uh, our third son this morning, and he's stalking us when we're having dinner. He screams and he's grabbing at food and he's like, so I thought, okay, well, we'll try him on some food. Now, if anybody has had kids and they know about weaning, like it's a bit of a process. Now, turns out he's not interested in food. He just fired everything at us and he was not. It was just a messy experience that I never want to repeat for a couple of weeks, okay? I'm surprised I didn't have food all over me this morning. But it got me thinking and, you know, like... um, God speaks to us in our everyday lives. Sometimes you think God has to be here and, and um, like the preacher or Noel or Rob or anybody has to come down and has a word from the Lord. But God speaks to us every day if we have ears to hear. The Holy Spirit is wanting to communicate to you. And I felt the Lord was giving me um, a word for this morning based off that. And it's around, you know, I'm going to go through, I'm going to speak about, you know, how if you introduce food to a child but how us as Christians it's spoken in the word that we um, about how when we were little they gave us milk but if we um, if we want to mature if we want to grow if we want to go deeper we need solid food and if you've been in church for a while you probably heard this um, but we're going to break it down and we're going to do like a practical thing to show us like what does it mean like we've got all these buzzwords in church like uh, go deeper closer I want to just be like more mature with the Lord. I want to walk with them all the day. We have all these buzzwords, but what does that mean? Like, that's just like a sticker or something. I want to know. I want physical things. Because as she said, like, that really kind of blessed me what you said. Because I have, the word of God has transformed my life. I am only sane. I am only here alive because of the word of God. 
And when people say, oh, like, it's not relevant, or people are like, um, you know, especially around women's rights, oh, no, like, it's so, like, patriarchal, like, it's so anti-women. I was like, when I read the Bible, it's the complete opposite. God wants to empower me. God wants to love me. God accepts me. It is so, and I think it's down to um, sometimes, as Christians, we might, I'm not saying you don't want to go deeper and look deeper. Sometimes we just don't have the tools. So we're going to choose that you're not ignorant and lazy. We're going to say, we didn't have the tools to do it. But I'm going to help you get the tools today. So you have no excuse. Can you hear me? Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh no. I just wanted a little Pop-Tart. just wanted a nice inspirational quote. But we're going to have to do a bit of work today, okay? So stretch it out. Right, so weaning this week with Ezra. And when you're going through it like a baby, as a, uh, we all know, a baby will just have milk, okay? And they'll just do nothing. They literally lie there and everything's given to them. The parent or the carer will give them milk and they don't have to do anything. But if you want that child to grow, they have to get more food and eventually they need solids. But you don't just hand them a steak or a baguette and say, off you go. Okay? You start by giving them like a smooth puree. Or if you're doing baby laid weeding, something, you know, like um, something they can grasp themselves. Something that they can take from their plate and put in their mouth themselves. But it's very rudimentary. You're still not like giving them a full like fillet on a slab or a giant baguette. Are you, can you see where my favourite foods come from? Or like a, a full Chinese takeaway or something. You break it up and you give what's appropriate. But there's no lumps in it. It's smooth. It's easy to digest. It's easy to get from the plate to your mouth or from the spoon to your mouth. But you don't really want to have an 18-year-old who's still eating purees or sweet potato, like saute, you know, thing. You have to move on from the purees and the simple food. And then you go from the simple food to like, you know, you might have the same food as what the rest of the family is and it gets thicker. And eventually over time, you would hope that the children are then eating what the rest of the family are eating. But it's still, you know, even then, you're still kind of a child because uh, when do you learn to cook the meal yourself? Or even more, which is the biggest pain in the face, I find. When do you get mature enough where you like, you don't just cook the meal. You have to go do the shopping. Then you have to prep the meal. Then you have to cook the meal. Then you eat the meal. And then you have to tidy up after the meal. Now, how much more of an effort is that compared to just having the milk or the puree? That's a lot more work. But we don't expect toddlers or babies to prepare a full meal. And God doesn't expect you, if, you're, if you are um, kind of only new to the Lord, do not expect to know everything. And my heart really grieves sometimes when, um, you know, you're in church and people say, like, as we know, you know, these terms, as we know. Because I used to sit there and be like, I don't know. What are they talking about? I didn't grow up in this. I've no idea what you're talking about. I don't know who that person is. And I had imposter syndrome in church for so long because I was like, I haven't got a clue what's going on. Um, and so God doesn't expect you to know it all. Okay? He meets you where you're at. And your step today might be coming off milk and getting a bit of solid food. Your step may be getting from the smooth food to something a bit, bit more meatier. Okay? But some of us are at a stage now that we have all the tools and we like we love the good deep word we love it but it's more of a takeaway as in you get someone else to cook it and deliver it but you're not preparing it yourself 
And as we mature, we are called to start preparing the meal, to start eating the meal, to start reading the word ourselves, to start putting the effort in. Now, you may do your daily reading, and that is essential. Okay, it's brilliant. If, you, if you're only starting the Bible experience, um, that's where like, pretty much any time I preach this year, I've gone back to what's the readings for this week because um, it opens up scripture, you're not just going back to the same one. So I'd really encourage you, if that's where you're at, just get nailed down just doing a daily bit of Bible reading because the word of God is nourishing to your bones. I find sometimes I don't feel I need it and then I need it. It's like, I needed that word from God. But today I'm gonna, we're going to look at a bit deeper. Some of us have all that down. And now it's time to start cooking the meal ourselves and going a bit deeper in the word of God. These analogies, I didn't pick that analogy out of the sky, like, oh, I'm so wise. Like Paul in, in the Bible even talks about it. In Hebrews uh, 5.13, and the New Living Translation says, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. So it's the same analogy. Everything's given to you. It's done for you. The milk is brought to you. You don't, you know. But if you want to grow, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, your maturity, your walk with God, um, it needs a bit more at work. First Corinthians um, chapter three, verses one to two, talks about this as well. It's Paul, and it says, um, "You were more, you were merely infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid foods, for you were not yet ready for it." Indeed, you are still not ready. Um, and he was speaking to the church in Corinth because there was so much going on for them. Um, they were letting teachers come in. They were letting um, stuff go on in church that wasn't right. Now, it wasn't that all the time that they were being selfish, but they didn't know. And how did they not know? Because they didn't have the word. They weren't reading the word of God. They weren't breaking it down. They were just living on the surface and they weren't getting the deeper meaning of the gospel. You can read the Bible on the surface level or if you have the ability and God has given you the tools, then you can go deeper. So this week in the Bible Experience um, Bible Project, it was uh, looking at the book of James. Every day was a chapter, James 1, James 2. And each, James is actually um, a really good chapter. Um, and we're just going to do, so you've probably heard some of these, right? Um, let me see. So, James 1, 2, right? Consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So these are the type of things, when I first became a Christian, when you had a birthday, like people wrote inspirational Bible verses in your, in your card. And you're like, oh, that's brilliant. Say, one, one, chapter 1, verse 5 is another one. It's like, uh, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, you should uh, ask, uh, you, should, uh, should, you should get, sorry, I can't read. Um, you should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and, will, and it will be given to you. Now, that particular verse transformed my life. I was a teenager slash young adult who kept on making the most stupidest mistakes. Still of the Lord, still wanted to serve him, but just didn't, just, just was stupid sometimes, let's be honest. I can call myself that, you can't. Um, but I got fed up of getting myself into situations, and I cried out to God. And he transformed my life. He gave me a wisdom that was not from me. Okay? So don't get me wrong. There were single verses on their own that can transform your life because they've transformed mine. But sometimes it's a bit like popcorn. 
You just take them and you walk away and then you go on your merry way. Um, James 1.12 said, Blessed are those who persevere under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown of life that he, the Lord, has promised to those who love him. One more and then we'll do another funny one. 119, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. They're kind of ones that, because if you ask me, do you know James? I'd be like, no, but they're kind of ones you may have heard over the years. I just want to show you. So we take just the verse on its own and we run with it. Is anything in those verses wrong? No. But it's a little bit like grabbing. How about, here's other ones, right? Which would be less popular for many reasons. Um, But no human can tame a tongue. It is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. How about I write that in your birthday card? Um, Here's what I want to uh, write on my kids. I can't see so many pranks I want to play on my children, but they're too young, they won't get it. I'll probably do this when they're older. Come down on their birthday morning. There's nothing in the kitchen but a card. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. How mean would I be? Um, and this is a lot. This one I really love. Where is it? Four, verse thirteen in James. What is your life? You are a mist that appears from li- uh, for a little while and then vanishes. So anything we do about the Bible, you can't. Well, here's the deal. God can use anything, and the Holy Spirit is amazing. As I've said, He can completely transform your life as He has mine. But we miss out so much because just because you took those ones, other people can take the other ones out of context. And that's where we get into the problem with misquotes or crushing people. If someone said to me, you are but a mist, you're here for a while and then you vanish. Is that not a bit hopeless? But if I read around that verse, there would be context. There would be an explanation and it wasn't pointed at me, it was something else going on in that church. But if no one has ever taught me that, and I open my Bible, and I'm having a really bad day, and I can't come across the popcorn bit of an encouraging one, what does that do to myself if I'm just picking out negative ones? And I think, that's when I come away thinking the Bible is rubbish, it has no life in it, it's here to destroy me. So, we're going to... Um, just look at something. Don't worry. I just want to use that as an explanation. So there is this tension in reading the Bible. We're going to look at James, the really actual Bible study. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not just going to pop it. And it's the tension between getting lost in highfalutin theology, but also having the responsibility to put a bit of work in. And we live, see, the Bible was written in Jewish culture where teachers and study was really revered. And if you wanted to be a teacher, like, that was a job. You would get paid for that, like, of the Bible. And you could just sit around pontificating about the Bible. Like, that was your role. And that was encouraged. We don't really have that. Our culture is very different. We want quick, snappy, done. I'm going to, I love God. Okay, I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to listen to a sermon. I'm going to follow my favorite preacher. Which all have wealth in it but it can be a bit shallow. You need to start, we need, myself was very convicted in this, putting the work in. So we're going to look, let's have a look at um, chapter 1, verse 
chapter 3 of James. And we're going to look. The biggest thing that um, I came, I felt with this is about putting context in what we're reading. Okay, so I'm going to read chapter 3. It's very short, don't worry, we're not going to hear phrases. And then we're going to look at how doing a little bit of study. Now, all I did was sit in a coffee shop with my phone. I did not have a giant Bible study. I did not have a, a concordance on me. I did not refer or listen to loads of preachers about this. But just with a few minutes extra deep diving, how we can pull out a bit more from what James is saying in 3. And then we'll read chapter 3 again, okay? So chapter 3 I picked because basically I'm a big mouth. And so many times I have to say sorry for the words coming out of my mouth. And the title of this, chapter 3, James, is Taming the Tongue. So this is not pointed at you. If anybody feels convicted, that's the Holy Spirit, not me. I felt convicted. And that's why I didn't want to pick something and point at someone else has to start with me. Okay, James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We will stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never in fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep your whole body in check. When you put bits into into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a small rudder where the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the body parts. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it's uh, itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord, our God, our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And then the next one goes on to wisdom, but we'll just stick with this so we're not getting too complicated. Um, so if you just take the, some of them out of context, there's no life in that. You're like, oh, well, what's the point? My tongue's evil. Nothing I can do. Might as well just live my vida loca. Funny story, though. When I first came to church age nine, we did it, but I went to Sunday school, and they told me what I heard, because I only selectively listened, I can do anything and still go to heaven. I didn't return to church for seven years, but I took that, and I did do everything. Um, and it really taught me about knowing context. <laughs> uh, and I caused myself a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of damage. Um, and I really, I really pray that whatever we take away here will give you life and give you tools that that won't, that won't happen to you. So what does it look like to look up context? First of all, you look at who's the book. The book is James. Who's James? There's quite a lot of James in the Bible. Does it matter who wrote it? It's God-inspired. It does matter because who he was, where he was, and what they were doing shapes how he wrote. So the James the disciple, it wasn't him. It was Jesus' brother. Now, I just looked up Google 
Who wrote the book of James? The answer's there. But it gave me much context because then it tells you who James was. He didn't follow, he, he rejected Jesus, his brother. It was only after Jesus had died that he uh, took him and started following his teachings. So that tells me, well, then he didn't hear anything. So everything he was teaching, he had learnt. Which kind of like, that's amazing. I can, I can get it wrong, but God can correct me. And I can then, he can use me. He became one of the major leaders in the Church of Jerusalem. So just by finding out who wrote the book, I've learned I can get it wrong. God can correct me. And he can use me. And the other thing is that he was in Jerusalem writing to a church. So when I looked up again on Google, or if you happen to have a concordance, that's brilliant, but let's just start the basic. Um, Who's it to? This is a letter. There's two types of letters. There's an epistle or an a letter. A letter is like a personal one. So there's one like Philemon or something where it's to a direct person. But this letter was written by James, but to a group of people. So the understanding how everything's structured is to, to a group. So it's perfect for teaching in church. It's not a one-to-one thing. It's a group thing. And what does that tell me? Well, all the believers were in a group. This letter was written to a group. We call it a church now. It was a group of churches. But am I rooted in a church where I am willing to get to hear from the Lord? So it is important who it's to, because then I can figure out who, who, who it was written to. Is it appropriate to my life? I can ask the question, am I rooted in a church where I can have teaching? Have I made that decision to root myself in a community, like the community that he was writing to? Um, the thing about, so it's written to a church, what kind of, like, was it a city, was it a country? These were Jewish Christians who had fled because Stephen, uh, one, of the, one of the main church leaders, had been persecuted. Now, I think we can all, like, what happens if we're very lucky or blessed in the country we live in, that we aren't getting, like, killed for being believers? I don't know how brave I'd be to stand up here if I was risking my life. So they fled because they were being persecuted and they went to a place which is modern day Syria. All that is like the front page of my study Bible, but that's all online as well the minute you look. And who were they? They weren't educated people, they were farm workers. They were farm workers who um, were of the Jewish background. Now, we don't get the importance. Um, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but back in the beginning of the church when it first happened a Jewish Christian and a Christian like the Pharisees were having a problem but they were still rooted in families of believers who were Jewish their whole life was structured around Jewish culture everything they did was about Jewish culture so like as much as I am Irish and I'm rooted in Irish culture I have a lens that I I have to take off to try and understand this for me to understand these phrases and what's going on and even why he wrote this it's a one-sided letter you're only getting one side of it kind of a bit like you've just seen a quote on facebook you know you don't know what the person said before it 
or you read, you find an old letter from your family and you're like, what are they? They're talking about things you don't understand because you didn't get the letter that was written back. It seems all out of context. But we can find, a lot of the time we can find that stuff out by studying. This taming of the tongue. Why did he write that to that? Those workers who were farm labourers in the field. Like what was, so I have to say, what was going on? What was going on that he decided to write this? And um, I came across, again, why did James write chapter 3? Like, I didn't spend hours in music concordance. I did check the references because I didn't want to be teaching you stuff that wasn't right, so I did a bit of extra work. But these are all things that are important. There's this thing I want to explain to you, and it's uh, why he spoke about tongue, and it really kind of made me stop and think. Okay. Um, there's a Jewish thing now. So they were Jewish Christians, Jewish culture. In present day Judaism, there's a thing. It's a prayer that the rabbis say as their daily prayers. And it's called the blessing for the heretic. But it actually is a curse on people who don't believe what they believe. And they pray it every day. And it's, it's in. Now, some of the more liberal Jewish streams wouldn't do it anymore. But uh, the, most of them would, right? Um, but the roots of that can be traced back to this period. So this book was written in 50 AD. The, in, it started that practice of praying curses on people who didn't believe the same thing as you in the Jewish faith in 70 AD. So they believe that it actually started earlier. It is when there started being a separation between Jewish and Jewish Christians before they all lived together. And they start hating each other. And obviously we've seen with history, World War II, even before that, this tension developed then. But that's when the Jews start praying curses. So you're talking about Jewish Christians living in a Jewish culture who were then being influenced about speaking curses with their tongues on people who didn't believe the same thing as them. So I'm looking at that going, oh, that's why he wrote about how dangerous the tongue is. Now, am I Jewish? Am I doing that? No. Do I, do I have some of that in my culture? Maybe. I'm Irish. We slag. We slag good. I'm actually quite good at it. And when I became a Christian, I was really disgruntled because I had a real gentle, meek and mild church and they were like zero crack. And they were just like, that's not very appropriate. Was, that's not very appropriate, Max. Um, and I've, I've come to learn with maturity that you now you can have a bit of crack. But I had to learn a bit. I had to learn I'm speaking life and death in the tongue. I may be just joking or having a laugh. But what am I doing to the person's spirit? I may make you laugh. And the whole group laughs. And they all think, oh, she's so funny. But what am I doing to that person who's laughing along but is cracked inside because I've hurt them? I have spoken death over them with my tongue. So I can look at them like, oh, I, like I could see some of these were shocked when I said, like, they actually pray a curse over people who don't believe the same thing as them. And we're like, because it is, we're like, oh, we'd never do that. We'd never do that. That's so horrible because we're so separate from it. But let's apply it to us. What do I do that's similar to that? I slag. 
Sometimes in my insecurity, it's more important that the crowd likes me and thinks I'm funny than it's important to what's happening to your heart and your spirit when I speak that joke and everybody laughs. Um, the tongue is really powerful. And just by going a little bit deeper, by literally spending a half an hour extra, that whole word, the superficial, like I was a bit like, oh yeah, yeah, that's awful. Um, but it really made me think for days about what curses I'm inadvertently speaking on people by having a laugh. Now you may not do that, but you may speak something else. Maybe you snap at your children. Maybe um, there's a thing at the moment, like I've noticed, sometimes it seems to be okay to speak curses over people who choose a different lifestyle than we do. Are we saying that some of the choices are right? Never. But it's all right to publicly lambaste someone. And that, it said really, like, everyone, every human being is made in the image of God. Every single person has worth. And God died. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love me. He didn't just love liberty. He didn't just love Ireland. He didn't just love one church ministry or one Pentecostals or charismatic. He loved the world. So you may not slag and you may be really like uh, holy, let's just say. Um, However, are there a group of people that it's just much easier to degrade? Now that is a point of, I'm not, I'm not saying every choice that people make is correct. A lot of it is wrong. A lot of it is anti what the word of God says and there will be no life. But it's up to God to save people. I will be the best witness that I can, but I will witness to them by loving the life into them. My mouth will only speak life and encouragement, whether they look or believe the same thing as me. Because there is life and death in my tongue. And I will not allow my tongue to be used for evil. I will try. Look, I am a hypocrite. Like that scripture. It's like, oh, he's talking about me. If you talk to Andy, I have spoken in church. And then we've had a blazing row at home. And I was not saying godly things. (laughs) Using godly adjectives. I was not. I am an absolute hypocrite. But if God can use James who totally missed working with God, with Jesus, he can change me and move me. Um, so let's read chapter 3 again with the guise of the things that I've said about cursing, about that it's James who missed the boat, but God still used him. Talk about the first one, give me a dagger. Not many of you should become teachers. My fellow believers, because you know uh, that, what, that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, not able to keep their whole body in check. When you put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn a whole animal. Or take ships as example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by the very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the body parts. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and in itself set on fire by hell. All kind of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Never can a salt spring produce fresh water. I hope this makes even more sense now, knowing who it was written to, who it was written by. Those farm references and sea references were to people who'd really get it. Like, I'm not a farmer, I don't really get that. But Andy used to ride horses, so he totally gets that horse reference. If you're a farmer or a sailor, you'll totally get it. Like, I've never been, like, I've been on a ferry, but like, that's not a, you know, uh, but they'll get that. Understanding being able to tame an animal. Again, I'm not really a pet person. Like, but, uh, those words will make huge sense to those people. So James knew he was writing to, and God knows you. If the word of God isn't making sense, ask God to show it to you. I'm not saying you have to go into in-depth Bible studies the whole time, but if you have the ability, then you have the responsibility to go slightly deeper. Because God, you don't know what God could do with you if you put a little bit of effort in into the Word of God. I'm dyslexic and I struggle at reading publicly. Um, but I give it over to the Lord. If he wants me to do something, help me get through it. I'll get the words mixed up, you know what I'm saying. We'll get the gist of it. No one's going to die, okay? Um, I would have never thought that I would want to be a teacher, but he has opened things to me and given me opportunities. I'm not saying you are called to be a teacher, but you're called to go deep enough and allow God space enough to speak to you. If you're running around like, like I said, I'm just summarizing, pop, you know, just doing the one minute scriptures, just doing that. Are you giving God a chance to slow down and speak to you? Rather than saying, that doesn't apply to me. I know none about horses. That verse will never apply to me. But if I look in the chapter, if I look in the deeper context, suddenly it speaks an awful lot to me about how I need to change my life. With his Holy Spirit. With his way. With his help. I'm just going to end in a prayer. And the prayer is that God is interested in you. Will you be interested in him? To put that bit of work in. Whatever that level is for you. Whether it's going on to smooth food. 
maybe it's, you know, a couple more lumps. Or maybe it's a steak. The Holy Spirit doesn't just speak in words. I have a word for you. He speaks. He spoke to me while I was studying that. He speaks through the day. He speaks when I'm feeding my child. He speaks when I'm reading my Bible. It's not any less spirit-filled if you put the work in. If not, it's more. So God, I pray this morning, Lord. First, I just want to thank you that you see us, that you're interested, that you're more than interested, that you're with us. Lord, I pray that hearts will hear what you want to say, that you will give every person here the tools they need to hear from you and learn from you and read your word. Lord God, you are a God who is faithful, who is true. And if you've asked us to do something in your word, which is read your word, you're not going to just leave us to figure it out. You've sent us your Holy Spirit, Lord. The Holy Spirit, come in this place, Lord. Speak and move over us in the week, Lord. Give us the courage to at least try. No one else has to know, Lord. Just try a little deeper this week. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.